That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are for the, uh, the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's good to begin with a juvenile joke. I don't know why I yeah, feel like I love doing it. that. Absolutely. Thank you for well you're not recognizing it. You're not encouraging my infantile sense of humor. <laughs> well done. Oh, I got it. I let it just wash over me like water off a duck's back, though. But um, <laughs> it is uh, great to be back, and it's always good to see you, Aaron. And uh, we are in the third Sunday of Epiphany. And never forget, what does Epiphany mean? It means the revelation, the revelation of good news. And how is that revelation going forward to all the world? Well, just like our colic says, um, uh his people uh, answering the call to proclaim the good news of his salvation. And, uh, and that we and the whole world through that may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. And what is that? God turns his friends or his enemies into friends. And so um, it's and wonderful. His friends into news. lovers. Sorry, I don't know why. I just <laughs> had to expand that a little bit. But I know what you mean. So, but uh, before we jump into that, how are, we, how are you doing? Uh, I'm a little sweaty. I just went for a run, but it was good. It's a cold, rainy day in Waco, Texas, but I just had to get out of there, discharge some of that intense pastoral stress, which you know all too well, Jake. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing, we're doing all right. We're recording this. Uh, it is the second to last day of 2020. So when you listen to us, uh, you'll be hearing us in the past. Uh, but I think, um, I am looking forward to the new year, I guess. And, uh, uh, everybody really? I know is, is looking. Yeah. I mean, because at least I think, I think it's like 2020 began well and then ended like a dumpster fire rolling downhill into a swamp that was also on fire because it was an oil tanker spill full of like dying penguins. So mm. that was how 2020 ended. And I feel like 2021 is beginning bad, but maybe will end well. That's sort of what I'm, what I'm hoping for. I don't know if you've watched that Netflix, uh, sort of comedy documentary. It's something like, something kind of a 2020 recap it's got samuel jackson and lots of other famous people in it but it at the end of it they uh they record some uh tape from their interviewees about what 2021 is going to be like so when they make the documentary next year they can have um uh uh sort of some pre-recorded tape so they can promote what they anticipate will be the sequel to 2020 Mm -hmm. And they have them all say something sort of like, who could have guessed what the vaccine would do to us or how we would use our new powers? Yeah, that's super funny. So, I, uh, so as, you, as, everybody, as everybody knows, I've gotten into Peloton. And it was so funny if you go back and listen to a 2019 end of the year ride, like getting ready to go into 2020. It is so hysterical. I can't. I can't even finish my ride. It's all about how it's going to be a great year. We're all going to be stronger than ever, and there's so much to look forward to—a new decade. And uh, I just was like, if only they knew. So, and um, it's true. You know, I mean, I think 
I think just brace yourself, everybody, and uh, keep it cool. Keep expectations low. If 2020's taught anything, uh, it's good to have low expectations. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, God actually works in the midst of low expectations. Um, so, but that's uh, that's kind of where we're at. Our readings today are John Happy chapter New 3. Year! <laughs> John chap- uh, Jonah chapter 3. You scared the hell out of me. Jonah <laughs> chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 29 to 31. And finally, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. So we come to um, a very, very powerful, powerful reading from Jonah, um, where um, Jonah finally makes it to this city called Nineveh. And we really begin to see uh, what the word of the Lord is all about, what the word of the Lord actually does, and uh, turns friends into enemies. Anything you want to say about that, um, uh uh, Aaron? Uh, yeah, my, you blanked on my name. It is Aaron, just in case you... You, you yeah. can always ask Sorry. me to remind you, Jake. It's totally fine. <laughs> uh, so the the common thread that's running through the Old Testament readings, which as we've said before, kind of jump around a lot during the season of Epiphany, uh, the common thread is the word of the Lord. Last week, the word of the Lord came to uh, Samuel. This week, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah is a story that everybody knows about the so-called whale, although it is in the text known only as a big fish, uh, and um, it, a real big fish. A real, real like let's just, it was not like a Christian ska band. Real well, not big. Christian, but they were really oh, good. Okay. So. <laughs> they were not Christian yet; they were good. I, I don't you know that's the, anyway. So uh, the. Um, it's, it's like the story of Noah and the ark. Just because it's got a cute animal or an interesting animal, people fixate on it and make it into children's stories. But actually, there's a lot more going on. And in some respects, it's a lot darker. So Jonah, uh, the thing that you don't get from this reading is the fact that Jonah uh, is disobedient. Jonah is a terrible prophet. Jonah doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He actually does not want sinners to repent. And the whole story is told, actually, uh, was written at a time when Israel was uh, sort of thinking that they were better than everybody else. And the whole point of the story is to show, nuh-uh, because the good guys in the story of Jonah are, are the Ninevites. And Jonah, the Jewish prophet, is seen as a pretty terrible guy. He, he doesn't want to tell them the good news. He only reluctantly does so because he almost dies, again, in the belly of the big fish. And then when he finally does tell them the good news and they believe the good news, he gets ticked off that they believe the good news. And it ends with him just being angry under a dead tree in the desert. So I think there's so, yeah, I mean, that's the story. So the good news here is that God's word comes to people who don't, um, who, who are outside the club of the Holy Rollers comes to the people in Nineveh, comes to the outsiders, comes to the pagans, comes to people who feel like God maybe doesn't like them. That's who the good news comes to. And it actually does come to the holy rollers as well, if they have ears to hear. And that's sort of where we find Jonah in this story. That's a, that's a powerful point. And you really begin to see the offense of the gospel. Never forget Nineveh is one of the uh, capital cities of the place that completely wiped out um, Judah you know, completely wiped out, um, uh, killed their widows, killed their children, destroyed the temple. All of these things, these are awful people. And you begin to understand the offense of the gospel in this story. And you see that a great illustration will be would be all of Trump's pardons right now. I mean, if you watch, whenever a president pardons people, 
people freak out because we do not like bad people getting away with something. And the reality is, is that we're all vessels of God's wrath and uh, God has uh, pardoned us in his son Jesus. But we hate that when it's about other people. I mean, I was reading one, um, one particular paper uh, that was talking about how they were quoting a representative from Oregon and he was like, Trump's pardons, you know, he's taken mercy and used it once again to promote scandal. And, uh, you know, in the pardoning of Jared Kushner's father, who by all accounts is a terrible person. And that is not a partisan statement. If you were his brother-in-law, you would not, or his sister, (laughs) you would not think Charles Kushner is a great guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the, the governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, who prosecuted him was like, who's a friend of Trump's was like, holy crap, you're pardoning who? And so like, (laughs) I mean, this is, this is the thing, but this is, but when you get in touch with that, you begin to really understand the offense of the gospel and why Jonah would be so upset and the offense of the gospel that comes to us. But when you really realize that we're all Ninevites, we're all um, vessels of God's wrath, uh, but he has chosen to make us vessels of his mercy through the love of his son, demonstrated in the sign of Jonah. That becomes your preaching point, the sign of Jonah, which is he goes into the belly of the earth and three days later spit out and preaches the good news to his friends. Mm. Well, um, that is good news, and that's something you can hang on to. Yep, and I think, you know, it's funny, this deal with the pardon. So as we're recording this, as I said, it's the end of 2020, but this will come out the week or like a few days before Biden is inaugurated. So you, if you're listening to this on uh, on Monday, January 18th, uh, there is a day and a half basically left of President Trump's administration. And maybe there'll be more really offensive pardons over the next 24 hours. Who knows? But uh, just remember, this happened. I mean, every president in my lifetime has done pardons at the end of his term, and, and everybody gets people pissed. Already get all yeah, because you don't. You know, usually when you pardon someone, unless there was a miscarriage of justice, they actually did something wrong. And uh, you know, the story of the prodigal son. Most of us are like the older brother who gets ticked off when somebody who has done something wrong gets forgiven. We only like we only mm. like forgiveness when it's for us. Um, uh, we don't really like it for other people generally. It, there's like some kind of weird uh, level at which if you're bad up to a certain point, it's okay for, to, for you to get forgiven. But if you're past a certain line of badness, you should never get forgiven. And I don't know where the world comes up with that line, but it certainly exists and it can move around a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, we, it's because yeah. it's intrinsically within us. We want to somehow qualify for our salvation. And yeah. so, usually you know, the bad things we've done are below that line. Yeah, I definitely qualify. Aaron, I don't know about you. And, uh, you know, but, um, but, that, but that's ultimately it. And that's really the, the offense of the gospel, as St. Paul talks about, is really flushed out and played out in the life of Jonah um, and is given to us in the one who fulfills the sign of Jonah. So um, that's good. And then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. Um, And boy, if you can preach on this, uh, that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's almost like a gauntlet thrown down by the lectionary committee. Like, we're going to give you three verses. I dare you. Ripped out of the context. (laughs) Good luck. You have 10 minutes. Yeah. Take it away. So um, this would be like a GRE um, exam or, you know, um, not a GRE, but uh, what were the GOEs? The GOE exam. Please please write a sermon on this that both captures the ideas of justice that we face in our day and 
Um, you know, I don't know. But anyway, but this would be a GOE question. So uh, this is, so he it opens up, and I think the key to kind of, you know, you can uh, focus in on the wives and all of this, but this is connected to the greater argument that Paul has been making in uh, chapter 6 about kind of the time uh, and what it is and how to live our lives as we wait for Jesus. Yeah, I mean, so it's one of the big things, and that we talked last week's episode was uh, that was entitled from a salt and pepper song. Let's talk about sex, baby, and it was because Paul is talking in this Corinthian correspondence about sex because that was a big thing that the Corinthians had in their life before they knew Christ, and they're trying to figure out what their sexual ethic is now as Christians, and so there's all this stuff about it, and. Uh, now this one is one of those questions that they had about what if you were married to somebody who's not a Christian or what if you're, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a Christian, but you're not married and should you get married and what kind and it's, it's all these questions about marriage. And so it's a very specific, very, uh, occasional passage, meaning it was written for a specific occasion. Uh, but the lectionary people don't really give you the context of that. So it sounds like he's just giving advice in sort of just general, like it sort of, it sounds like life is short and let's live in light of that, which is sort of good advice, but it's not like a YOLO life is short. So let's go to Vegas and max out Mm -hmm. the credit cards. Um, it is, uh, he's saying you need to keep a perspective in which you are kind of, it's paradoxical. You're like in this world totally, but you're also aware that this world is passing away. So he says to do this thing, you, you mourn as though you're not mourning, you rejoice as though you're not rejoicing, you buy, but as you had no possession. So you, you, um, you know, I think about, uh, all the things that we do in life that tend to consume us and, and Christians, uh, tend to, um, go on or people tend to go one of two directions. One is to sort of think that, um, nothing in this life really matters or to think that everything in this life matters more than it does. And, and what Paul is saying is try to keep this impossible paradox of saying like, you know, you live in this world, but you also realize it's passing away. So, uh, that's the point of, so, you know, Paul is writing this for people that are married and have questions about what if I'm married to a non-believer and that sort of thing. And that's why he says, you know, live the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. That's why he says that those who have wives live as though they had none. He's not saying ignore your wife, uh, Mm -hmm. which you could rip this out of context and argue for that. He's saying, if you're married, just know that that doesn't ultimately define you. And even that relationship will pass away at some point. If you mourn, mourn legitimately, but just realize that that will end at some point. If you rejoice, so it's basically, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost kind of a little Buddhist ish in that it's like kind of hold things really loosely. Um, and don't invest in them, your significance and worth. That's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's Christian too, because, uh, we have a way of making idols out of things and hanging, and we don't even realize that we're hanging on to them tightly. You know what I mean? You see this in like, um, you see this in like with people who live in New York, you know what I mean? And living in New York is absolutely positively everything. Never mind they can't, like they're, they haven't eaten in two days because they, you know, it's either like a can of tuna or they pay their rent or whatever. But we tend to make these things like, we tend to make things in life idols real mm-hmm. quick. And uh, this is what he's saying is like, live, live your life because you've already been washed. Remember what he says back in six, you've already been washed. 
you've been sanctified and you've been justified. It's been taken care of. And so, and find the kind of the, the, the conclusion here is for the present form of this world is passing away. Like yeah. all of this stuff that we're trying to preserve, all of this stuff that we're trying to identify with our, ourselves is ultimately passing away and Christ is all. And this is really good. Um, this is a good word as we begin the new year and move into the new year because, I mean, 2020 has demonstrated that. Uh, 2020 has demonstrated that we have very little control of anything. And that which we cherished, I mean, I'm dealing with this. We have a choir member who just, man, loved his grandmother. And she died alone of COVID, you know, and they couldn't go see her or anything like that. And But this grandmother of his was absolutely, absolutely everything. And you know what? Uh, he can hold on to it lightly because he knows the priority. And so now he's mourning with those who uh, who are who are mourning. You know what I mean? He's, he's living his life. And this is what it is. But holding on to it lightly, keeping the main thing the main thing. And that is the resurrection of the dead and the age that is to come. Yeah. And so there, because of the gospel and the freedom we have, and we know that we are loved, and we know that we are embraced, and we know that we are rock solid in the acceptance and grace of God, um, this world does not have to be the be-all, end-all of everything and who you are. Your career is not who you are. Your marriage is not who you are. Your family is not who you are. Your background is not who you are. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you can hold things loosely and you can appreciate them. You know, there are some people who would say, as it does at the end of this verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. And they would say, because life is temporary, you should go live this ascetic life out in Taos and you yeah. should, you know, not own anything and be a minimalist. And sure, that's fine if you want. But uh, just know that that's not what this is saying. This is saying, because this world is passing away, you can enjoy it, but not be attached to it. And so you can absolutely... Um, uh, gather your family and have a feast and eat the prime rib and pop open the champagne or whatever it is. You know, I'm thinking about New Year's Eve coming up here, whatever you do, you can absolutely do that. This, you, know, you don't win any points for Christian asceticism. That's not what this is saying. Yeah. Um, it's saying, enjoy life, feel life, whether it's joy, whether it's pain, whatever, but just hold loosely because it's not everything. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So that's three Good whole stuff. verses. In Corinthians 7, a passage about should I get married and should I stay engaged and whatever, but he kind of he launches into this big, uh, big thought, um, which often happens with St. Paul. So uh, now we move into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, uh, Mark being the short, punchy gospel um, attributed to St. Mark, obviously, but who wrote it uh, is, according to church tradition, with uh, kind of writing down stuff that Peter said. Uh, that's always kind of the test for authenticity for the one of the Gospels. Uh, if you want to have a Gospel, if you want that included in the New Testament, you have to have it be written either by an apostle, first-person experience of Jesus Christ, eyewitness, or someone who wrote down those eyewitnesses' experiences of someone else. And Mark supposedly wrote down everything that Peter said. So these are that's where these uh, this is coming from. And um, you have here Jesus uh, beginning his ministry. Uh, and in Galilee, this northern region of uh, Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, uh, telling people that basically the time has come. Uh, the kingdom yeah. of God is here and believe the, the good news. And then we get the calling of that Peter uh, and or also known as Simon and Andrew. Yeah, I think it's important. So remember that the kingdom of God is not something you usher in. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is oftentimes misunderstood in a lot of like mainline worlds. Like we're busy ushering in the kingdom of God and we'll eventually join Jesus to join it, invite Jesus to join us because, you know, we're awesome. And so, uh, but the, the point here is, is that he is, what is the kingdom of God? That needs to be answered. And in the Old Testament, it was God's people in God's place under God's reign. And that is Jesus, the embodiment perfectly. And so he has come and he is calling people to repent and believe the good news because he is the good news. He is the promised one who's come to save them, the one they've all been expecting. And so and uh, so it's with this message that he begins to pass along the Sea of Galilee. And he doesn't call unto himself. I mean, this is isn't this amazing how God always works? Uh, he doesn't call unto himself the most qualified. You know, in those days, a rabbi would call like the best students you know, he would be looking for real people who'd be really committed and had studied a long time and maybe the top school in Jerusalem. But he's down in Galilee, which is, uh, you know, um, sit, sits in darkness. Mm-hmm. But uh, a great line has shined, a great light has shined upon them. And he begins to call fishermen. Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets into the sea. He's calling fishermen to follow him. Uh, but uh, follow him and uh, not just, hey, we're going to do some really cool things. And not just, hey, um, I've got some amazing things to teach you and I'm going to be starting a new school, you know, a new shiva, and I'd love for you to join us. But he says, follow me and I'm going to make you fish for people. And uh, that is something extraordinary. And to fish for people means, well, you're one who's genuinely interested in people, their welfare and uh, their relationship with God. I think uh, you're you're right. There's so much that's amazing in this passage, and because it's for many a very familiar passage, we tend to miss how bananas Jesus is in his startup here. Because you know, when you start a startup, usually, like you said, you want the best and the brightest, and that's the opposite. This is like Jesus went down to the loading dock, and when the delivery truck pulled up with all the the you know that day's fruit delivery, as they were unloading the crates, he was like, hey. Jorge, uh, come with me. We're going to work together to start a new religion. Like this is, it's just crazy. It's just the opposite of where you would go and who you would pick if you were doing anything according to worldly uh, sort of definitions of success and power and and entrepreneurial enterprises. So, um, and I think, uh, you know, another thing you can, uh, there's there's a lot of, um, we talked about this a little bit last week because it was about Nathaniel and Andrew and evangelism and, and all that sort of stuff. And and there's a lot of people who will want to make this because it talks about, I will make you fishers of people, fishers of men, and, and they'll want to make this about a, a call to your congregation to be better evangelists. But um, that's, I think, kind of a, a using the passage to make it about us as opposed to making it about Jesus. And I think the amazing thing here that you want your people to understand is that Jesus calls these unqualified people who were not looking to change careers and were not looking to get into the religion business at all. There's so many people that have this idea of God that for you to have a spiritual life, you need to make way for God to come in. And you hear it all the time in, uh, I once heard an Advent sermon, which said you've got, you know, make straight the highways of the Lord and basically saying you have to like do all these spiritual things to make a path for God to come into your life. There's of course that old kind of tent revival meeting thing about Jesus is knocking and you got to open the door and let him come in because otherwise he can't come in. And I think it's passages like this that actually show how Jesus really works in people's lives, which is when you are not looking for him and when you are not ready, you're just minding your own business. I bet 
uh, Peter and James and John didn't even really have a <laughs> big quiet time that morning. They're, you know, cause they're up at, you know, before dawn to fish. And, and isn't that, that, that is, that is a powerful. And, uh, when you think about it, how they fished, yeah, you know, um, so they don't, they're not using rods and tackles, they're using nets. And the way net fish goes is that the net hits the bottom and then they begin to pull it from the bottom up. And really, um, and so because a fish can't see it coming. Yep. And so it catches the fish and they bring it in. And that's the way God actually works uh, when he calls you and he comes and meets you, is you don't see it coming. It comes right from the bottom up, not the top down. And so, and it meets you in, um, it comes from the bottom up and captures you uh, with uh, the word of his net. It captures you with uh, bread that is his body. It captures you with wine that is his blood. It comes from the bottom up and pulls you in. And it pulls uh, the whole world and all whom he's called in. And, uh, and uh, isn't that amazing? Yep. And so repent and believe the good news. A lot of people are going to hear that as like, get your life together. And that's not you, what it means. Straighten out your wig. That's right. So, but, <laughs> that's right. Tuck in your shirt. Uh, get your lint roller out and clean yourself up. It, it what it means because he he shows us. Um, it means uh, to be people who are minding their own business and then suddenly get called into following Jesus um, and trusting in Him. He says, "Believe the good news." You know, it's interesting. Repent and believe the good news. He doesn't say repent. And like, he doesn't talk about behavior. He talks mm-hmm. about belief because um, repentance is primarily one of moving from a belief in yourself. yourself <laughs> yes. To, uh, I love it when we complete each other's, each other's sentences, Jake. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, repent and be- don't believe in yourself now anymore. And don't be a self-centered person who defines your worth in that way. But repent and believe the good news, which is already mm-hmm. here. As Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. God is in charge. God is here. Christ is here. It's an amazing thing. I mean, it's amazing that God takes a walk on the shore of a lake and calls fishermen uh, who, to to be the apostles, the bishops, the people who are going to start this this ministry, who start sharing this message. And the fact that you and I are on this podcast and that we have listeners is all because of what happens on this beach um, around the Sea of Galilee in around 30 A.D., um, and in this, I think the word of grace to the people in your congregation is that they don't, Jesus doesn't need to meet them in some special place with a cup of coffee and the perfect Instagram filter, uh, and a bullet journal. Uh, Jesus can meet them exactly where they are in their life, in the least spiritual part of their lives. Um, Jesus can meet you in your, um, beige cubicle Jesus can meet you in your Cheerio-covered minivan interior. Jesus can meet you um, after you've had a fight with your spouse and can't sleep at three in the morning. Jesus can meet you in all these places. And the fact that you're in that place doesn't actually disqualify you for ministry. It actually qualifies you because Jesus is the one that makes you able to do it. Um, And he says, come follow me. Yeah, and that's that's a key. Come follow, too. It's, you know, he's not asking you to pave the way. He's not asking you to do his part. He's asking you to follow him because he is, um, he's paving the way. Um, he is the one um, making a way, as Ben DeHart always says, making a way out of no way mm. um, in order that um, the whole world might be brought to him. And uh, nothing will stop him from that mission. 
and uh, and he's calling you and uh, you, dear listener, wherever you're at, um, feeling spiritual or not, um, to the same. And he's always calling us every morning to follow him so that we might be fishers of people. Amen. Uh, the kingdom of God has come near. You don't need to make it happen. It's already here. So uh, roll around Amen. in that for a little while and uh, share that good news with your people. And uh, happy Epiphany. Um, it's, uh, and by the way, as you uh, listeners, you're getting ready to preach uh, this Sunday, right? Uh, like it'll be right after the inauguration. Uh, so uh, don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have to say. Uh, pray for President Joe uh, or Joseph, depending on whichever one you choose. Um, and, uh, and, and just a liturgical heads up. Tell whoever puts your bullets in together to make sure you change the prayers to the people from President Donald to President Joseph. Uh, just a little little free tip here from the same old song, folks, so you don't look like you're uh, not paying attention to your bulletins. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. No problem. Here to help. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Karen, I hope you're listening. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.